From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Cancer experts say that immunotherapy has the ability to cure, and these new medications are becoming available to some patients. Here to provide an overview of immunotherapy is Dr. Stephen Graziano, a professor of medicine and the chief of Upstate's Adult Hematology Oncology Division. Welcome, Dr. Graziano. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Let's start with um, sort of the history of what is immunotherapy and how did it begin? Well, I think the concept has been around for many years that the immune system is important in, you know, homeostasis of the body and keeping uh, rogue cells in check, perhaps. Um, It's also been thought that you could harness the immune system to attack cancer. And uh, so this concept's been around for over 100 years. But I think really in the last uh, 30 to 40 years, it's really taken hold and we're starting to see advances that are translating to patients in the clinic. I think um, you could probably go back to the 70s and 80s when there was a drug called interleukin-2, mm. which is what we call a cytokine. It's messenger, it's, it's immune messengers that can uh, enhance um, the immune system. Uh, this was used in uh, melanoma and kidney cancer in the 70s and 80s. That was probably the first advance. However, it was fairly uh, toxic. There were a lot of side effects and um, so its use was limited to you know, probably mostly young patients. Um, in the 1980s, there was a vaccine called BCG, which was uh, beneficial for superficial bladder cancer, and we still use that today. Um, there was a monoclonal antibody developed in the late 90s for lymphomas, a drug called rituxan, which has really revolutionized the treatment of lymphomas. Then more recently, there is a cancer vaccine for prostate cancer that's available. Um, and then in 2011, there was a drug called ipilimumab, which is one of these so-called checkpoint inhibitors. It releases the immune system to attack cancer. And then the second group of drugs is the PDL1 drugs, um, uh, the things like Keytruda and Optivo that most people have heard about, at least on commercials and things. But that also releases the immune system to attack tumors. And these have really advanced in the last three to four years um, to many indications for our patients. So the immune system, we're talking about the same system in our body that fights off colds. Correct. The immune system. Why doesn't it fight off cancer just inherently? Well, I think cancers are, uh, they do um, develop mechanisms to get around the immune system. Um, There's this system called PD-L1, the uh, tumor's express a protein on their surface, which basically uh, paralyzes uh, the T cells, which are the part of the immune system that's active. Um, And so how these drugs work is a, it's an antibody to that receptor. So it uh, basically uh, releases the tumor from the immune cells, allowing them, um, you know, basically room to um, do their job. Okay. Uh, And it's the same thing with the um, ipilimumab is, is another uh, checkpoint inhibitor that works on the CTLA-4 system, which is cytotoxic T lymphocyte protein 4. Um, but that's the, So those two systems um, are um, approached with these uh, new immune drugs. And so a lot of cancers already have an immune therapy. You, you gave some examples of some, um, and there's more to come, it sounds like. It's almost dizzying as an oncologist to try to keep up with all the advances. Um, uh, in preparation for today's interview, I, I did look at a number of the indications that we have uh, already. You know, this is not even in the research 
phase. So we're using these drugs for uh, lung cancer, stomach cancer, head and neck cancer, Hodgkin's disease, um, uh, bladder cancer. Um, there are certain tumors that have what's called uh, microsatellite instability. This is a biologic uh, uh, property of cells, and any tumor that has microsatellite instability uh, can be treated with these drugs. So it's the first indication of a drug for not a disease, but for a biologic characteristic. So that's exciting. So, and, and I didn't want to oversell it, but I have read that they say some of these medications have the ability to cure. Is that, is that true? I think the jury is probably still out on that. We have patients with advanced cancer that were on these drugs in early clinical trials for two years, that now they have eight years of follow-up and are still in remission. Um, so I, I think uh, they have great potential. As with many therapies, we first, uh, we first use them in patients with advanced disease, but then if they're beneficial, we try them in earlier stage disease, and that's really where there may be a greater potential for a curative, for a curative effect of these drugs. So for instance, in lung cancer, um, it was first used in second-line therapy for stage four lung cancer. It was compared head-to-head -head with chemotherapy and found immune, immune therapy was, was a superior. And then um, it was tested in first-line patients with very high expression of PD-L1. If you have 50% or more expression of PD-L1, we now use pembrolizumab or Keytruda as first-line therapy rather than chemotherapy. So um, there, there are similar studies in patients with stage three disease and we're uh, doing clinical trials here at Upstate on patients with stage two and uh, three disease as well. So some of these immunotherapies are available now, but then some of them are in clinical trial. Is that right? That's right. Um, there are a number of indications, as I mentioned earlier, for um, a number of diseases. Um, but we have uh, about nine clinical trials going on right now at Upstate employing uh, some form of immune therapy. Uh, four of them are in uh, lung cancer. Uh, we have one in kidney cancer, one in head and neck cancer, melanoma, sarcoma, and then this group of patients with colon cancer that have this microsatellite instability that I mentioned earlier. Interesting. Now, are these um, customized medications, or does the patient's blood get looked at before they're put on them, or is it a medicine that it's the same medicine goes to everyone? Pretty much the same medicine goes to everyone, but they're uh, with any new new therapy, we try to um, use any tools we have to select who's going to benefit from treatment. And the one tool we do have is uh, tumors can be tested for the expression of this protein PDL1. So if you have very high expression of PDL1, the studies do seem to suggest you have a higher chance of responding. Okay, well that's good news. Now, are there contraindications? For a patient taking an immunotherapy, is there a reason a patient would not be a good candidate? Very good question. I think uh, the, uh, the way the therapy works is by activating the immune system. And you can imagine if you have an autoimmune disease that there could be some downsides to these types of therapies. So most of the trials have um, restricted patients that have, say, active rheumatoid arthritis or uh, very severe psoriasis. Um, kidney transplant patients, you know, so you can imagine there are scenarios where you might not want to uh, make the immune system overactive. 
uh, as you may have some detrimental effects. You may activate that disease. Um, so most of the trials have, have uh, been very careful in uh, limiting you know, limiting the use of these drugs to uh, certain circumstances. Now, for patients who are good candidates for an immune therapy, are there um, risks or side effects of taking an immune therapy? I think with any new therapy, um, I would say there's kind of a honeymoon period. You know, I think most of the um, uh, papers that are published in the news is the, the benefits, but there's usually not as much attention paid to the side effects. And I think as we've used these drugs over the last three to four years, um, there are side effects that you have to watch for. And I think the most common things are um, fatigue, um, and then you can get um, rash, uh, colitis, uh, which can manifest as diarrhea, uh, pneumonitis, um, which can uh, cause shortness of breath and cough. Um, these tend to happen in a very small percentage of patients, but I think as clinicians, we have to be very alert when we see our patients in the clinic. Um, I always say to my patients, you can get an itis of just about anything, mm -hmm. pneumonitis, dermatitis, nephritis, pancreatitis, et cetera. So you can, you can get an inflammation of just about any organ in the body. You just have to be very alert. There are certain common ones, like uh, the thyroid, tend, we tend to see, tend to see uh, thyroid dysfunction. Uh, colitis um, uh, and pneumonitis are the ones that I've seen most commonly in my patients. When that happens, what you do is you s simply stop the drug and usually treat with a, a course of steroids, and that usually will resolve things. Well, interesting. This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Stephen Graziano. He's the Chief of Adult Hematology Oncology at Upstate, and we're talking about immunotherapy. Um, there was some exciting news earlier this week regarding lung cancer and how survival odds can greatly improve if patients receive this immunotherapy drug. I think you mentioned it before, Keytruda, mm -hmm. um, along with chemotherapy. So um, what can you tell us about this protocol and this new study that came out? Yes, um, this was uh, just published in the New England Journal actually just two days ago, so a lot of us have not had time to digest it. But there was this is the second trial that has shown... Um, with the addition of Keytruda to chemotherapy that um, both what we call progression-free survival, patients stay in remission for longer, and overall survival uh, do seem to be improved with the addition of pembrolizumab or Keytruda. Um, it's, really, it's really remarkable. Uh, it's a really a remarkable finding and I think has potential to change the standard of care. I think when any new information comes out, I think we have to look at it carefully and see uh, what other factors uh, might um, might be, uh, you know, the reason for these results. But uh, based on what I've seen, I think this could be um, establishing a new standard of care for patients with advanced lung cancer. That's encouraging. Have you um, had any patients take Keytruda? Absolutely. Um, probably this week I've given Keytruda to, you know, 10 patients. Um, it's 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 made its way into the clinic and has uh, been a boon to patients. You know, at this point, we're using it in uh, uh, this more of the second-line setting, but there are patients that are getting it in the first-line setting um, when they have high expression of PD-L1. Uh, and based on earlier studies, we've, we were even using it with chemotherapy for uh, selected patients uh, with uh, stage 4 lung cancer. When you say second-line setting, what does that mean? That means usually we treat patients with standard chemotherapy as what we call first-line, and then if the 
the therapy works for a period of time and then stops working, that's usually when we, we uh, move to immune therapy currently. Ah, okay. And so um, that may change in the future. The protocol may, may yes, be different. Absolutely, yeah. How um, have you seen people respond to it so far? Is it in- encouraging? I've seen a lot of patients that uh, have definitely benefited from therapy. I think, um, of course, with any treatment, not everyone responds, but I think um, I kind of divide it into one-third. One-third of patients get remarkable uh, prolonged remissions. Maybe one-third have maybe stabilization of their disease for a period of time, and probably one-third don't respond. Um, Mm -hmm. But the nice thing about these therapies is they don't have the side effects we usually associate with chemotherapy. You don't have the nausea and vomiting, the fatigue, the hair loss, the low blood counts, etc. So um, most patients feel well after they receive their treatment. Wow. With the caveat that we do have to watch for these long-term immune side effects that I mentioned earlier. Well, can I get you to talk about what you believe the future holds in terms of cancer therapies? Well, I can. Uh, I, my my area of focus is lung cancer, and I can say uh, that um, the field of lung cancer has probably been most dramatically altered by the these new drugs. Um, I can give an example of how we deal with a patient um, who's newly diagnosed with lung cancer. Now, um, we first of all we get a biopsy with uh, tissue. Uh, then usually you do accurate staging, usually with a PET scan. Um, and that tells you how advanced it is? Exactly, what stage it is, and that directs therapy. Um, but the analysis of the tissue is extremely important. You know, we, we haven't, we're not talking about targeted therapies today, but there are a number of molecular um, markers that we have to look for, EGFR, ALK, ROS, BRAF. We have a panel at Upstate where if you have a mutation of those, it's an actionable mutation where you have a treatment for that. If you don't, we, we uh, if you don't have one of those, then PDL1 comes to the forefront. And if you have high expression of PDL1, then we usually use immune therapy right up front. For patients with early stage disease um, who have surgery and are at high risk for recurrence, we treat them with standard chemotherapy. But obviously, um, as the immune therapies are coming along, there's active research going on to see if immune therapy will make an impact in that group of patients. And we have clinical trials here at Upstate that are trying to answer that question. It's got to be an exciting time to be a cancer doctor. It is. It's, uh, um, as I mentioned earlier, it's almost dizzying the, uh, the, the changes. You have to almost be a student to, uh, to keep up on the journals and the new information that's coming out. Um, but it is exciting. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. My guest has been Chief of Hematology Oncology at Upstate, Dr. Stephen Graziano. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.